Well, I love that today we get to go right from celebrating his death, his body and blood shed for us, that he paid the highest price because he loves us so much, to then immediately celebrating his resurrection. And in Luke 24 today, we actually meet two men who had incredibly high hopes about Jesus, incredibly high hopes about the Messiah and the promises of God. But their hopes didn't seem to be lining up with the circumstances and the reality of what they were facing. And what's interesting is that these two men who we meet on the road to Emmaus find themselves in the middle of what is verse for verse the longest event in any resurrection narrative. That Jesus goes on this journey with them to help them in his resurrection even to understand his death. So what do you do? How do you process when the promises of God sound amazing? They sound almost miraculous. But life just doesn't seem to line up with them. Because if we don't have an answer to that question, if Jesus is not the answer to that question, then unlike what we sang, but kind of like these guys, we find ourselves hopeless. And our key verse tonight is going to come from Luke chapter 24, verse 32. Because as they near the end of their journey, they're going to say to one another, Did not our heart burn within us? While he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us. You see, that key verse is going to reveal how a conversation through the scriptures reveals our hearts. And they'll get there, but they're not there yet. So let's start the journey with them back in Luke 24, and we're starting with verse 13 tonight. Look at what it says there. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day, to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. Now notice, this comes hot on the heels of last week's passage, where the women found the empty tomb, rushed back to tell Jesus' friends and disciples. And so when in verse 13 he says two of them were traveling, it's two of those guys, followers of Jesus, friends of Jesus. They knew Peter, James, John. They had been there to hear the report. And now that same day, they're traveling to a village called Emmaus. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so that they did not know him. Now, I don't know exactly how that happened, but I think the why for for why that happened is because Jesus didn't want to just come in a flash of light, but he wanted to take them on this journey. He wanted to unpack something for them that would reveal their hearts, not to him, he knows our hearts, but to themselves. And I think it gives us a chance to go on that journey with them. And the picture that you see here is actually a piece of the road to Emmaus that remains to this day. Uh, That's actually like a curbstone, and then what they would do is they would line curbstones up on both sides, fill it in with gravel, cover it with flat stones... And that's part of why the gospel spread so quickly after Jesus' resurrection. It was because they had incredibly good roads that pieces of them still last to this day. And as they traveled on this road, probably back home as they were leaving the Passover, they were going to a place called Emmaus. Now Emmaus is a little bit tricky. We have probably three locations historically that this could refer to. So all the way here up in the top left corner is one of our options. 
It might be a little too far away for what Luke was describing, but it is historically known as Emmaus. It might be a little too big for what Luke was describing, because that was more of a city. He mentions a village. In the middle of the map, we have Emmaus called Castellum. Well, this one is pretty close, it seems like, to the distance that Luke mentions, but we don't actually have any historical record of it being called Emmaus. Or we have on the left, on the right side of the screen there, Emmaus Colonia. Now, this is the closest one to Jerusalem, and it's only about half the distance that Luke mentions. And so it's possible that what's going on here, because we do have historical record that this town, Emmaus, was named after a Latin town that sounded, um, an Aramaic town that sounded very similar. And because it's about half the distance, it could be that Luke is referring to the round trip. Like if I tell you we took a trip to Minnesota, and I tell you how far it is, you're assuming I came back. It could be that that's what Luke is referencing. Now here's the good news for us. You notice something about those three cities? Regardless of which one it is, they're all on the same road. (laughs) So even if we're not exactly sure which of these cities it is, we know exactly which road they walked on. You can still go and see that road today where Jesus took this journey with these guys. That was the place that they got to have a conversation with Jesus. And I think that's what I want for us today. Like, can you have a conversation with Jesus? Not just read about him, but like, you talk to him and, and he talks to you. And so in disguise, of some sort, or with a veil over their eyes, Jesus himself joins them on this journey. And, and look at what he says in verse 17. He said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Just notice in that, would you, the compassion of Jesus? The graciousness that he addresses them with? Because you'll see as we go on, he's going to engage them intellectually, but he engages them emotionally as well. That Jesus enters into this moment where he finds two of his own friends downcast. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Like, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? So, like you saw on the map, the town is not that far away. They're walking out of Jerusalem. This guy joins them and says, what are you guys talking about? And so their response is something akin to, did you miss the parade last week when that guy rode into town and we were all singing to him? Did you you miss those illegal trials in the middle of the night? Everybody was talking about it. There was a crucifixion. Where were you when the sky went dark for three hours in the middle of the day? What things are you talking about? He, He asks them. They say, are you the only one who doesn't know about these things? And I love this. One of my favorite parts in Luke. He said to them, what things? What things? Don't do them like that, Jesus. He knows exactly what things. He was there for every single one of them. But here's what I love about this moment. This this cracks me up. I don't know if this is meant to be like the comic relief in the middle of the story. But here's what I love about this. Because he knows every single detail of everything that has happened. And he has since the beginning of time. And he says to these two guys, what things? You ever feel like God is clueless? Like, you wouldn't say it out loud. I certainly wouldn't say it to you. But do you ever feel like God is just a little bit out of touch? 
Do you ever feel like maybe the people around you are right and it's a little bit goofy to read a book that is thousands of years old, believe in a God that you can't see, and maybe even obey what he tells you to do? Like, is God still really relevant? Or do you feel like sometimes in your own life, you have all these things going on and it feels like God is saying, what? What what, what things? See, I find encouragement in that question because you realize that he doesn't really need him to fill him in. He knows. He cares. I think it's why he joined him on the walk. But he wants them to process. He wants them to learn something. He knows what things. Do they know what things? And do they know what those things really mean? Do they know what God's plan really is through those things? I think it's such an interesting question Such a difficult moment probably for them to almost rub salt into the wound by asking that question when they're already downcast. But they take hold of that and they go on. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But... um, We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And you notice how they describe the things? They give him the facts. They give him the details. They tell Jesus the specific events that have happened. But they also tell him what they were hoping. And this becomes a critical moment. Because they are either going to lose hope. And it will always be past tense. We were hoping. Or they're going to find an even greater hope than they had before. They tell Jesus the things and they tell him what they were hoping. I wonder if that's the kind of conversation you have with Jesus. Sometimes we feel like I shouldn't bother God about this. I shouldn't bother God about that. I should know better than to be praying about this again. But what if you could just tell him what's going on? Now you were hoping it would be different. Like, what, would you, what, what if you could just tell him what's going on and, and what you're hoping the future would look like? You know, a good friend of mine here at Horizon, through the last year, he's really been going through this, this kind of a journey. Um, his wife passed away from cancer not quite a year ago. And as he went through that journey, he, he had decided just before that journey that he was going to read the Bible. And so when this whole thing started happening, it's like, okay, if I meant that, then let's, let's pray. Let's ask God for healing. Doesn't the Bible talk about that? He's the great physician. He, he forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. And they laid hands on her and they prayed together and they did all of these things. And she still died. He had all of these hopes, but life didn't line up. And that's a moment, right? What do you do next? I guess God isn't who he said he is? Or is it possible that God is working on something here that I don't understand? Is it possible that God is teaching us something? Is it possible that there's an even greater hope beyond this life that I could be looking at? And and I don't know what hopes you have. I don't know if your story sounds just like that or if it might be similar, it might be different. Because there's a lot of good things that we hope for, right? I do hope that my family has health. I hope that I have health. Maybe you hope for a a good relationship with your kids when they grow up. 
that you can call each other friends. And maybe you're hoping for that promotion because it would be awesome if you could have a little bit more control over your own schedule. If you could really set yourself up well for retirement or maybe just do a little bit less travel. Like then, if we could just get to that spot, maybe we wouldn't be so downcast as we're walking down the road. You know, I don't know what those things might be for you, but, but maybe even as I speak, you can just think to yourself. If, if you ask, what do I hope for six months from now, a year from now, ten years from now, when I retire? Like, what would be in that category for you? I don't know about you, but what I notice is that when I fill in that list, it's not that they're bad things, but a lot of what goes on that list for me is, is really about my kingdom more than it's about his kingdom. Sometimes I find that I'm a lot more focused on what I hope for, what I want here and now than on eternity. And sometimes those are the places where, like, if this is really what I wanted and that's not what I get, then I feel like, well, did God let me down or did I let God down or something else going on? Like, what's happening here when he would say, look past those things to a greater hope? In fact, as he continues to speak to these guys, you notice they don't just give him the details of the death. Because remember, they were in the room when the women came running back. They said, we found the tomb empty. They gave him the report. And so in the next verse, they actually continue to tell Jesus more of what has happened. It says, Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain of our women, certain of, certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels. Yes, that would be astonishing. Who said he was alive! And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So they just recounted to Jesus all of the facts, all the details of the resurrection. And what is incredible about this, like, as I was prepping for this message, I didn't even see this until um, listening to Chad speak last week. If you remember, or if you want to jump online later and pull up his slides, he showed how in those first 12 verses of Luke 24, Luke demonstrates at least nine specific pieces of biblical and historical evidence for the reality of Christ's resurrection. In these few verses, these guys have pegged eight of the same nine. They've got all the information, they've got all the detail, they've got all the evidence, they've got all the facts. But they're still walking down this road downcast. Even though they've heard the report, he's alive, the tomb is empty, the angels told us. They're struggling to take hold of it. They're struggling to believe. Okay, so here's what's so cool that I felt like once I found that out and you lay those two passages next to each other and you can okay, which one is missing? The only one they missed from last week? Remember his words. It's the only one they missed. They had all of the other details. The only piece of evidence they missed from what we saw last week was remember his words. So watch what Jesus does next. Verse 25. Then he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses... And all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He says, you have a lot of details, but you're missing the thing that pulls it all together. The word of God. 
that Christ himself had been predicting this throughout his entire life, but it goes way back before just Jesus' life. And I love that because what that offers to us is that instead of a miracle, instead of a flash of light, like they get the exact same thing that you and I can get tonight. If you don't see a miracle today, if you don't see someone rise from the dead, if you don't see water turned into wine, if you don't see a flash of light, if you don't see somebody floating or, you know, whatever, whatever you would call a miracle and like that would really prove it, he doesn't give them that. Even though he could, they are face to face with Jesus himself and they don't even realize it. And he says, you want to know it's real? Let me show you something. You want to know about Jesus? You want to really get to know Jesus? This is it. Get to know Jesus through the scriptures. He walks them through the entire thing. And I love this. In fact, one of the things that we talk about at Horizon is that when we study the Bible, we want to use the Bible to interpret the Bible. Now, on the surface, that sounds like circular reasoning. Like, if I don't believe the book in the first place, why would I believe some other part of the book about this part of the book? How would that help me understand it? But what you have to remember is that the Bible was written by multiple different authors over centuries and millennia with incredibly specific predictions that you could not fake hundreds of years before they ever happened and they all hold together and they're all fulfilled in one person, Jesus Christ. Like, if it wasn't fulfilled, if it wasn't true, they were supposed to kill their prophets if it turned out they were lying because that meant they were from the enemy and not from God. If it wasn't proven true, it wouldn't be in here. And so Jesus walks them all the way back to Moses, to the prophets, to the entire scriptures. And guys, we've seen this as we've journeyed through the book of Luke. You know, if you've been with us for this journey, can you remember all the way back to Luke chapter 5? Rack your brain. What was there? Don't worry, I just looked it up this week. So, (laughs) All the way back in Luke chapter 5, he could say, remember that time I healed that leper? Well, that was because of Leviticus 14 that said only God can do that. I wanted to make sure you guys know that I was God. Right? Or or, or what about, you remember um, Psalm 107 when it says that only God can calm the wind and the waves and that is what Jesus did in Luke 8. Or in Psalm 110 when it says that our high priest will come in the order of Melchizedek. He'll be the Messiah on the throne of David. Luke 20 when Jesus sits down his disciples and says, that's about me. Or how about Psalm 112 and 113 where Jesus, uh, where the psalmist describes how the Messiah would lift up the poor and needy and give them a better seat, which was exactly what Jesus did literally in Luke chapter 14. Or how about, uh, how about Psalm 118? We've seen that one a couple times where it says that the stone the builders rejected would become the cornerstone and they sang it to Jesus Christ as he marched into Jerusalem. Or, have you read Psalm 119 lately? Very long. Whole lot of stuff about how great God's word is. But at the very end, there's this incredible moment that says, And yet, I'm like a sheep that goes astray. Thank God that he is a shepherd who seeks lost sheep. Exactly what Jesus taught us in Luke 15. He could walk them through the entire Bible as they started from Jerusalem and made their way to Emmaus. But you know, the ones I've given you here are just a few that we've seen in Luke. But did you notice that Jesus was saying, 
Didn't you think that the Messiah needed to die? Ought not he to suffer and then enter his glory? See, because that was a major piece that was missing for them. Like, if they could flash forward and see that not only do we know that he died, he rose again, and we celebrate his death because we understand now how it paid the price to draw us back into relationship with God, that was mind-blowing for them. Surely, of course, the Messiah is going to heal people, lift up the poor, calm the water. He'll do all those things. Why on earth would he die? That doesn't fit. I thought he was powerful. And so Jesus could start all the way back in the book of Genesis and tell them how Genesis 3.15, when we realized for the first time we needed a savior, God said that the enemy would strike his heel, but that the Messiah would crush the enemy's head. Or how about in Genesis 22, when Abraham takes his only son up a mountain to be a sacrifice. And God spares him by providing a sacrifice. You know, that's the first time in the Bible the word lamb appears. The first time in the Bible the word love appears. Your only son whom you love. How about Exodus 12? Where the Passover lambs are killed. And God himself says, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. You will be redeemed. It's what they were hoping for, that he'd be the redeemer. And God doesn't say, when you understand how it works, when you get your theology right, when you feel warm and fuzzy, he says, you put your confidence in this. When I see the blood, I will pass over. Or how about Numbers 21, snake on a stick? Hmm? That's about Jesus? Well, John 3.16, Jesus speaks John 3.16 and then says, well, you know, just like Moses lifted up a snake on a stick in the wilderness because people were dying and God said, look up. When you see it lifted up, that will heal you. Jesus says the son of man's got to be the same way. He's going to be lifted up. But if people look to me, they'll be saved. Yeah, Numbers 21 is about Jesus too. He could go into the Psalms and how Psalm 16 said that, that even though the Holy One would die, he would not see decay. Or we often sing Psalm 34.1, his praise will ever be on our lips. Did you know Psalm 34.20 says that even though he dies, not a single bone will be broken. And guys, sometimes read through the Psalms and just as you flip each page, say, where's Jesus? Because you'll see him. What about the prophets? You know Isaiah 53 says that he was pierced for our transgressions. Did you know that in Zechariah 12.10, the Lord of hosts says, they will look on me whom they have pierced. When have people ever pierced the Lord of hosts? And you and I know from a couple weeks ago how in Amos it said that as that only son died, the sun would be darkened. Jesus is demonstrating to these two friends of his that this was God's plan all along. That his power his sovereignty, his glory come through the cross. See, that's why it's so important that when we look for evidence of this book, of Jesus Christ, of his life, that's why it doesn't help to, to set this down and say, I know there's a lot of weird stuff in it, I don't really believe that stuff, but I do, I do good, think it's a good, good kind of moral direction for me. Good rules to follow in there, I think that's kind of helpful Jesus is saying it is so much more than that. Those things are just about part of how we have that healthy relationship with other people and with God. But this book, 
This is God's story of everything that he is going to do to repair his relationship with you. That's why I would stand here and I would say, when you come into Horizon, this is going to sound weird, but I don't want you to leave Horizon knowing about Jesus. Stay with me. I want you to leave Horizon. I want you to come back in this place. I want to share time with you. I want you not to just know about Jesus. I want you to know Jesus. These guys knew about a lot of things, but they needed to get to know Jesus through the scriptures. Look, I I grew up in church. My parents took me to church, and I was like, Bible trivia whiz, and if you guys ever did that thing where you hold the Bible above your head and then you have to like find a passage really fast, nobody was faster than me. Except Heather Otten, but we don't talk about that. (laughs) Guys, honestly, like, I could absorb it, I could soak it all up, I could repeat it all back to you. And I even remember there was a time in my life where like every day I was reading a chapter of the Bible, I would write out something new that I saw there, I was even memorizing some verses, and my life was not changing. My attitude toward other people was not changing. The things that I was letting my mind think about was not changing. And as I look back at that now, I realize it's because it was all data. It was facts. It was good stuff. But I wasn't praying. Like, I was, I was eating it up, but I wasn't actually talking to Jesus about it. I wasn't actually saying to God, what about this page for me? God, is there something here that speaks to something that's dark in my life? Or is there something that speaks to something exciting that you've got in store for me? That that if I follow you, if I walk this journey with you, if I go down my own road to Emmaus, you want to teach me something for my life. And guys, I, I don't know, as you listen to this, how this makes you feel. But honestly, this is why Paul, in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, he says that whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we... That's us right now in this room that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Not just that we might have data, not just that we might have evidence, but that when we filter those things through our relationship with Christ, that is what gives us hope now and forever. That we would actually get to know Jesus through the scriptures. So I might ask you, does that, does that spark anything in you? Does that remind you of a spark that you felt before? And maybe it doesn't. Maybe you're like, Drew, that sounds really fun for you. <laughs> Go do that thing. <laughs> but this is one of the reasons that I love God's word so much. And I love that here at Horizon, we go verse by verse through this stuff. Like, I don't know if some of you feel like, oh my goodness, are we ever leaving Luke? And maybe before that, you were like, how long are we going to be in Leviticus? <laughs> but I'm telling you, that's part of why I love it is because every page I turn, I see more of who Jesus is. He shows up and he says, I want you to know me this way, just like he did for those guys on that road. And so I'd encourage you, if anything sparks in your heart, if your heart begins to burn, if there's a passion that is awoken when you hear the words of Jesus, when he takes God's word and shows you how it points to him, When your heart starts burning, invite him in. Sometimes that feels a little scary and we pull back. Like you're right on this edge where you're like, I think God is telling me to, I think I'm going to pray about it first. I think I'm going to, I need to talk to some more people first. Maybe, maybe next week. I don't know if today's really the right day. 
Hey, can I just tell you, if he brings you to that point, if you're feeling that, lean in. Don't lean out. Because look at what happens next for these guys. Verse 28. Then they drew near to the village where they were going. And he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Look at this in verse 30. I love this. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Does that sound familiar? Sound like anything you did here tonight? Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And I wonder if he winks at this part. (laughs) And he vanished from their sight. I'm thinking like, wait, I just realized it's Jesus. Now I really want him to stay. But I think that's the moment that he knew they got what they needed. That was the moment, sitting around that table, as they broke bread with him, that he opened the eyes of their hearts. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened the scriptures to us. And do you notice how he did it? Through the word. Just taking a walk. Sitting at dinner. Highly personal. Extremely comfortable. Jesus and a couple of his friends. You know around here. You'll actually hear us describe that this way. Go ahead and pull up that slide. We say that we think that we're here. And let me just clarify when I say we. I don't mean horizon. I mean you. And I mean me. That's what we means. <laughs> this is what I think is for us. That we are here to comfortably connect people to God. Through the Bible and a community of growing Christ followers. Notice too the subtlety that it's not a growing community of Christ followers. If there are more of us, that's great. But if the Christ followers aren't growing, then we're on the wrong track. We're here to comfortably connect people to God through the Bible and a community of growing Christ followers. That's not just like fancy church strategy. That is open Luke 24, meet the guys on the road, sit down with them for dinner and say, that's how I met Jesus. I wonder if, my, I, wonder if I could go on that journey with my friends too. I wonder if I could do it just like he did. Because here's the reality. When you come into this place, you know why we call this an equipping service? It's not so that we can all sit, gain knowledge, and then go home and feel good about how much knowledge we gained. Look, I used to do that. I felt really good about myself. I had a pride problem, okay? I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) It is so that you get to know Jesus better, and then you have the ability to articulate your faith. That you could tell somebody, you know, I honestly don't think that the Bible is just a bunch of good moral stories or or rules. I actually think there's a God who shows up in there who wants to know me personally. Who meets me in my sadness, walks me through my journey, shows me who he is so that I have hope. You know, for that friend that I described, whose wife passed away, it's been amazing to see how he has grown in the last year. Because he decided... That the only way to know for sure if God had failed him or if God really is who he says he is was to find out what God said about himself. And so he's been reading this book 
And you probably wouldn't be surprised to find out that as he sees other friends, as he goes to different grief groups and, and meets other people who are experiencing the kind of journey that he experienced, wherever their Emmaus is, however long that journey is for them, that he's strangely finding people ask him, you seem to be doing so well. You seem hopeful again. Where is that coming from? How did you get through this journey? And his answer, painful as it may sound, is not, I saw a miracle. It's even though I prayed for a miracle, God didn't leave me in the lurch. I've met him through his word. Honestly, I just, I tried reading Luke. And he would tell you that, that Luke 5, when Jesus heals the paralytic, but when he shows up, you remember the first thing Jesus says? Your sins are forgiven. And the paralytic's friends are like, his legs, Jesus, it's his legs, <laughs> right? What he saw in that moment and what he believed for his wife, who was a Christ follower, was that it was more important to God to give her eternal hope even than it was to heal her physical body. Because he knew that she, through Jesus, had the hope of resurrection. See, I think he figured out exactly what these two guys on this road figure out. Because once they understand all of these things, they do exactly what that friend did. Look at verse 33. They rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. So they just got to Emmaus, had dinner, but we're going back right now. And found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord is risen, indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. I wonder if they told them the same passages that Jesus told them. Because we'll see something similar again in a couple of weeks as Jesus speaks to his disciples. And if you notice, if you track this through the book of Acts, like every time that Peter quotes scripture, like you can track almost all of them back to some moment in one of the gospels when Jesus taught that scripture to Peter. Like that he takes his time in the word with Jesus and says, I know no better way to explain this to other people than actually the way Jesus explained it to me. You know, that's how we get equipped to articulate our faith to our friends. And so I want you to think about that because part of it is for you to get in the Word and part of it is for you to figure out how do you pass that on? How do you share that with your friends, your neighbors? How do you share that with your coworkers or your employees? People that I don't know and may never meet. That's part of why we do things like an exploring service. It's part of why we try to create such comfortable environments. We want to give you tools that help you do that. But I think just like Jesus and those two guys, it actually starts with the friendship that you have with them. That's an open door that you have to walk that journey, to join them for dinner, to tell them when you're sad, or to tell them where you have hope. And I think that's something that all of us can grow into. That as we discover more about Jesus, as he starts to burn that into our hearts, that we get to pass that on. And I love that that is both intellectual and emotional, because I've got both of those at work in me. And that's why all of that led back to that key verse. When they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So here's your key takeaway tonight. Spend time with Jesus in God's word. And I know, it's like, I came to church and they told me to read the Bible. <laughs> like, yes! 
But I hope you hear a little more nuance than that tonight. Not just data dump, not just check the box. Spend time with Jesus in God's word. You know, there's a lot of ways that you can do that. In fact, one that I've been doing lately is realizing this whole long journey through Luke, there is a lot that I, that I remember, like, there was something, like, Chad had a really good, I, I wrote something down. Where, what, what was that? Where was that? Because I remember God triggered something in my heart. Like, he, he sparked a fire, and I can't remember it. So to just go back to Luke 1, and maybe just read a chapter a day. And maybe take out those notes where you jotted something down that maybe you thought, it, like, that was God speaking, and you've lost track of it. And just ask Jesus in those moments, hey, reveal yourself to me. Show me what you're teaching me here. If you've never tried this before, it can sound really difficult to build that pattern. But even if you just capture five minutes, and maybe it's one chapter a day, maybe it's just one verse a day. Maybe it's just taking a a key verse from one of the last few messages and praying that back to God each morning. There's also a lot of things that can help you with this. Um, If you've downloaded the Blue Letter Bible app, that is my favorite app for doing Bible study. Like there are reading plans built right into that. Um, and I, I checked out the, they have a few that are like how to do the Bible in a year in different ways. Today's reading is Luke 21 and 22. And if you start tomorrow, the reading is Luke 23 and 24. Like, does that line up perfectly? <laughs> so you could start that this weekend and you'd be right on track with where we are. There's a lot of different ways to do it, but I would encourage you as you do it, spend that time with Jesus. Let him speak to you through his word. Let him show you who he is. Let him give you hope. Can I pray that way for you tonight? Jesus, as as I stand with bread and a cup on the table in front of me, I just have to tell you I am so thankful for the sacrifice that you made for us so that hope was even possible. And as I watch you walk this journey with your friends, God, I thank you that through Jesus you call us friends, that you offer us that kindness that you want to meet us in your word, show us who you are, and shape us into who you've made us to be. God, I know that for every person in this room, your heart is to see them come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because then, Lord, I know we get to wake up every morning and just say, God, what do you want to do together today? So however that is, Lord, would you help us, if our hearts have been sparked tonight, not to let that spark go out by the time we get home or the time we get to dinner, but to let that burn, to fan that flame that we would spend more time with you in your word. And we pray all of that in the name of Jesus, our living hope. Amen. Thank you for being here. We will see you next week.